Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 19. This morning, we're continuing in our teaching series in the book of Acts that's entitled The Gospel Unleashed. And as we have been going through the book of Acts, we keep seeing that the primary primary focus of the church is to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And this morning, Acts chapter 19 is a, it's a passage that unfortunately sometimes can be a uh, talk about a sensitive topic in the church. And it's primarily because it touches on a subject, and sometimes it's controversial, but it, a subject of how the Holy Spirit, what, what is his role in the life of the church? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? And so we're going to be looking at that this morning in Acts chapter 19. We're going to go from verses 1 through 7. And there's several questions that I want to seek to answer this morning as we're going through it. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is in you? Here's one, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What do Spirit-filled people look like, and how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? And at Reach Life Church, we have six core descriptors that we've, we, we want to build our church on. They're on the wall over here, and one of them is being biblically rooted. We want to be a church that is biblically rooted, and what that means is that we seek to be joyfully submitted to and transformed by the inspired Word of God. We, we want to not just teach it, but we want to submit ourselves to it and in doing so be transformed, right, by the way that we live our lives. What does that mean? It means that I can't just stand up here and tell you what I think, what I feel, how I think you should live your life apart from Scripture. So if I ever say something to you, you have the right, you have, actually you have the obligation to come to me. If you don't see that in Scripture, you need to say, James, where are you getting that from? That, that is one of the phrases that you need to be able to ask in this church. Hey, where'd you, where are you getting that from? And if I can't show you where I'm getting that from, I, I might need to just leave it as an opinion and, or correct my theology or my doctrine on, on what I'm sharing there. So we want to be a church that is, that is biblically rooted. And we also need to understand as believers, we're all being sanctified. That means simply that we're all continuing to grow, to understand God more. We've already come to an understanding of God through the gospel, but we're growing in that understanding. And as we're doing that, we need to understand that we don't know it as we ought to. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2, he says, If anyone imagines, he uses the word imagines, if anyone imagines that they know something, they don't know it like they ought to. You're imagining that you, if you think you know it, that's your imagination. That's not truth. We're always going to be growing in the knowledge of God. God is infinite, even in eternity. We're always going to be growing in the glory of who Jesus is. And so we need to understand that as we come to this topic of the Holy Spirit, how much more 
are we going to need to understand? We don't know everything. I, I definitely don't. I, I've come, as I've been studying this passage, I've been realizing, I need to know more about you, Holy Spirit. You're more awesome than I even realized. And so I'm excited about going through this passage this morning uh, because the Holy Spirit is a huge part of the book of Acts. I don't think you can go through a chapter in the book of Acts without seeing the Holy Spirit somewhere in there. Um, and so we're going to spend some time looking at who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in the church. But because this is such a sensitive topic and churches have divided over it, I want to spend some time praying right now as we're getting into the word and ask the Holy Spirit, who I'm teaching on, to reveal himself this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. Um, we understand that uh, we understand some things, but they are so, we don't understand them as we ought to. And uh, there are areas in our lives that we see things that you've opened our eyes to, and there's areas that we're blind and that we've never even seen. And so, Lord, I ask that the things that we do see, um, like through a like dimly through a glass, I pray that you would you would sharpen our our vision this morning, that we would have a, a better understanding of who you are uh, by your Spirit, and also the areas that we're blind in. Lord, would you open us open our eyes in those areas also? We're asking this morning that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, we are finite creatures that are seeking to know an infinite God. Uh, through Jesus. And so we're just asking that, that you would just pour out your grace upon us this morning. Help us to grasp um, a greater and a richer understanding of who you are in the person of the Holy Spirit. That, Jesus, you might be glorified in your church. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So right now in Paul's, in the book of Acts, Paul is on his third missionary journey. If you'll remember, he's been on two previous ones. The first one, he was planting churches. The second one, he went back to check on them, to strengthen them. That's what he's doing in our passage today. So that's the background here, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So our passage today is going to be in Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, and now I want you to pay attention to what they, how they answer this. And they said what? No. Okay, we need to... I'm going to come back to this later, but I'm pointing it out right now so that we can see that. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What do they say? No, we did not. Uh, let's see. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking, look, in tongues and prophesying. Verse 7, there were about 12 men in all. Now, what's going on here? 
Um, as this passage clearly says that when Paul enters into Ephesus, he finds people that were called, he called that, that the scriptures call, that Luke calls disciples. And he discovers, based upon their own testimony, that they have not received the Holy Spirit. And upon further investigation, what does Paul find out? He goes, oh, it's because you are still under John's baptism. Now, what does that mean? What, what was John's baptism? That, that's a question that I want to answer here as we're moving forward in this passage. What was John's bapti- ba- baptism? Well, we know, those of, us, those of us that have studied the scriptures, we know that when before Jesus came onto the scene, his cousin, who was about six months older than him, John the Baptist, came onto the scene, and he, he preached a message. And that message was this, get ready. You need to get ready. The Messiah is coming. You need to get your hearts ready. You need to prepare yourself because the Messiah is coming. Now today, or when he came, the message was he's here. The Messiah is here. When he went to heaven, what's our message? He's coming back. Church, that's what we need to be proclaiming right now. He's coming, but he's already come. He, he died, buried, raised from the dead, and he's coming back. That's what our message is. But that wasn't John's message. John's message was, he's coming, get ready. And in Mark 1, verse 7, it says that, that John, he said, you know what? Someone mightier than me is coming. His sandals, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to serve this guy. I'm not even worthy to bend over and, and untie his, his sandals. He says, um, I have baptized you with water. But he, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what was John's baptism? It was a get ready baptism. It was a turn from sin and start living righteously and then be baptized in water. But after Jesus came, what happened to John's ministry? It began to diminish and eventually phased out. As he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says that he, speaking of Jesus, must what? Increase, I must decrease. So his ministry began to decrease as Jesus stepped onto the scene. And Jesus said in Acts 1, after he had died for our sins, listen, this is the gospel. After Jesus died for our sins, after he was punished for our rebellion, after he took what we should have taken on our behalf, Once he died for our sins, then he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, before he goes to heaven, what does he say? He he says, don't leave Jerusalem. He's talking to his disciples. He said, don't leave uh, Jerusalem yet because you're going to get the promise of the Father. Now, what was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. That was the promise. And so he says in in verse 5, he says, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to get into what that means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but what we need to understand right now is that this happened in Jerusalem. Ephesus was 1,200 miles, almost 1,200 miles away. They obviously did not communicate as quickly as we do today. So think about how long it would take for a message by foot to, to get out to Ephesus. And apparently these disciples... John's message had probably just gotten there by the time Paul and them got there. And so they were still living under the repent, get ready. And so Paul fills in the gaps. He preaches the full gospel to them. And what happens? They believe. They, we know that they believe because Paul baptized them. And then the Holy Spirit came upon him 
upon them. And what happened? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And that's where it gets uh, hairy, isn't it, in the church? Because there are those who would say that even though these disciples clearly said, we don't have the Holy Spirit, there are some that would teach they actually did have the Holy Spirit. They just didn't know it. And that when Paul came, basically he gave them the second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that it, that it was accompanied, accompanied with tongues. That's, that's the, the, the part that gets kind of uh, controversial in the church. And so one of the questions that I want to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Christians have divided on this topic. And I, and I think sometimes we've divided unnecessarily, because sometimes I think it's terminology. I'll, I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But before we answer what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I think we need to first answer who is the Holy Spirit. Because even that, uh, sometimes people can't agree on. But let me start by saying who the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal power or mystical spiritual force that moves about like, you know, the force in Star Wars. That is not what the Holy Spirit is like. He is not an it. Scripture, when speaking of the Holy Spirit, always, always refers to the Holy Spirit as he. For example, in John 16, 13 through 14, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, number one, is not an impersonal power or mystical spiritual force, but rather he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying he's a human. I'm saying that he is one that ha he is a divine being that has a mind. He has emotions and he has a will. We need to understand that. Um, Ephesians 4.30 says that he can be grieved. You, you can grieve. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, uh, verses th verse 3 says that you can lie to the Holy Spirit. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did when they lied and said that they had sold the piece of property and given all the money when they hadn't. Hebrews 10.29 says that the Holy Spirit can be insulted. You can insult the Holy Spirit. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says that you can quench him like a, a fire. You can put him, put him out, not, not as if um, he, he, you diminish his power, but in your own life. You can quench the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Bible clearly teaches that God is one. One God, one in essence, existing in three persons, right? We sang about it this morning, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. That's what we sang this morning, the Holy Spirit, also known as the Trinity, three distinct per persons. And that's why we baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want to point out here that when we say that he is um, God, that he's not a form of God, okay? That's important to understand. He's a distinct person, and I'm emphasizing this because there is a teaching, a heretical teaching that was refuted in the second and third century by the church. It was, it's called modalism, and it teaches that there is indeed one God, okay? So they get that part right, but they say that there's not three distinct persons in the Godhead, but rather this God changes shapes or forms or puts on masks or modes. That's why it's modalism. So it's one God that changes forms like water. Some, they may use the example of water. Water can be a liquid, a solid, and a gas. That is a horrible example for the Trinity. Do not use that as an as example. I've, I've done it in the past, and when I realized, ooh, that's, that's like modalism, I've stopped using that. But it teaches that uh, in, in today's uh, society, you might, it might express ex itself in what we call oneness theology. Oneness theology, which teaches that Jesus is actually the one true God, and he's the one that changed forms. So in the Old Testament, he changed into the form of the Father. When he came to earth, he changed back into the form of Jesus, and that when he ascended into heaven, he changed into the Holy Spirit and came back. So if you ever hear a preacher say that Jesus never left us, he, he never left us, he just changed forms, then you know what you're hearing is oneness theology, or you're hearing modalism, a, a heretical teaching. And one of the reasons that this is such a bad uh, teaching is because it's who died for us on the cross for our sins. Was it Jesus? Was it the Father? It wasn't the Father. Was it Who was Jesus praying to when he said, Father, forgive them, for, for we know not what, for they, for they know not what they do, right? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At the baptism, all three of the, the Godhead are there. Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, like a dove. And the Father says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So, who is the Holy Spirit? Number one, he's not an impersonal force or power. He is not Jesus in a different form or mode, but rather he is the third distinct and divine person of the Godhead. With that said, let's go to the question of what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And again, this is where it can get hairy. This is where it can get difficult because there are some who would teach that there are two types of Christians. That everyone who comes to Jesus will, is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But there's, then they would teach that there is a second baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowers you and that you know that you have received this power because you begin to speak in tongues. And they will cite Acts 19. Some of the people will cite Acts 19 as a proof text. Now, let me explain to you why I have a concern with this in the way that that's being interpreted. Because number one, this passage is a narrative. Acts chapter 19, well, actually the entire book of Acts is, is a narrative. And what Luke is doing here is he is describing what happened. This is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. And he's simply describing what happened when these disciples went from John's baptism to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Don't get wigged out that I called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that while I'm saying that in just a minute. But um, when they received the, the, the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. But we've got to be careful that we don't make that what has to happen in order to know that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because even if, we were, if I were to talk to, to, to those of you who came to Christ, some of us felt great emotion when we, when we came to Jesus. Some of us wept. Some of us were filled with joy. But you know what? There's some of us who weren't. We, our lives were changed, but we weren't just this emotional person. And even Paul, listen, the Apostle Paul, and I want you to fact check me on this, not right now, but go to Acts chapter 9 at his conversion. What happens? Ananias, God sends Ananias to him, and he lays his hands on him, and it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he did three things. Number one, three things happened. Number one, his eyes were opened. It says that scales fell off of his eyes. Secondly, he got up and was baptized with water. And here's the third one. I love it. It says that he ate a dinner. He ate dinner. Now, is that, is that prescriptive? I hope so, right? Man, if you get I want to get baptized regularly in the Holy Spirit, if that's what it means. So you, we wouldn't interpret Scripture that way for that passage. So let's be careful that we don't take 19 and, make that and, and put that over what it looks like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It could be that that happens, but it doesn't mean that it, it's going to happen all the time because there's people that are have been baptized in the Holy Spirit truly have been baptized in the Holy Spirit that have never spoken in tongues or healed anyone or prophesied in in, a, in that way but they really do have the Holy Spirit we don't want to cause confusion in the church and make you think you're a second-rate uh, believer and that's uh, that's another problem with this teaching is that it creates hierarchies those who have you know are down here and those who have been baptized and empowered with the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't see Scripture teaching that. I don't see this passage teaching that. So if that is not, if the baptism of the, of the Spirit is not a second baptism, then what is it? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, I would say that baptism in the Spirit occurs in every single believer at the moment, at the point of salvation. The moment that you believe in Jesus you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, James, why are you saying that? Because I would say that that is what Scripture says. And I'll show you um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for in one spirit, what spirit are we talking about here? Holy Spirit, right? For in one spirit, we were all, we were all, it's important, you need to understand this, all of us, were baptized into one body. This is in 1 Corinthians that Paul is saying this. He says, all of us were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians clearly says, he says this in 1 Corinthians, not all of us speak in tongues. But here he says, but all of us have been baptized in the spirit. Do you see that in the passage? Also, Ephesians 1.13 it says, in him, speaking of, uh, of Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture teaches. 
And when it uses the word baptize, it never uses it in the sense of, of Acts 19. It uses it like Paul, uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? When you believe. And so here's the question I want you to, you might be asking, or I've asked this question. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is in you? Have you ever asked that question? You might be, how, how do you know that he's in you? Um, well, here's one way that you know he's in you. And that is when you heard the gospel, when you heard the good news, when you heard that, that you had rebelled against God and that you needed a savior and that God sent his son, Jesus, to us. In the, uh, and he took on flesh and he became uh, our sacrifice and he was punished for our sins. When you heard that news and you believed it, and how do you know you believed it? Well, then you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believed in your heart that what? God did what? Raised him from the dead. If you believe that, truly believe that, then you were filled, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the only reason you believe that, listen, the only reason you believe that and continue to believe that is because the Holy Spirit is in you, encouraging you. Now, there may be times you question it, you wonder, but you always come back. No, it is true. No, it is true. You know why you do that? It's not because you're awesome. It's because Holy Spirit is. You are awesome this way, but the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps bringing us back. So every true believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if someone, if you're a true believer and someone goes, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What are you going to say? Yes, I have. All right? So, um, so what we're talking about here is every believer is indwelt. Okay? Every believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but we need to be filled regularly with the Holy Spirit if we're going to be empowered. You can be indwelt, but not empowered. Now, that's, this is where I think sometimes we might be talking past each other when we're talking about being baptized in the Spirit. Um, I think the terminology is wrong to, to, to answer it like, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit when you believe. You're empowered when he fills you. Um, Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Um, debauchery is unrestrained indulgence of lust and, and sensuality. It's living for the senses. It says, but don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, notice here that Paul, who is Paul talking to here? He's talking to believers. He's not talking to those who have not believed. And if you were to look at that, that word, be filled, that is actually, that's a verb that's in the present active tense, which, which means that it could be interpreted it could be interpreted, be continually filled or keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I think that both camps can say an amen to that. We need to be filled afresh with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But the question that I would have is, how does that happen? What, what needs to happen and what does it look like? Well, Kevin, could you come up here for just a second? Um, I'm going to show you something real quick. Um, when you are drunk with wine, you can just stand right there. Sorry, I make you look so small. But uh, when you are filled with wine, 
Why are y'all laughing? When you're filled with wine, if someone is filled with wine, uh, when you're drunk, you're filled with wine, right? So there's a few things I want to say. Number one, that's sin. Do not do that. That's, that's sin. Secondly, if you're filled with wine, uh, there's two things that are going on here. Uh, number one, you drank too much, so you're filled. There's two types of filling. You're, you're filled, but you're also filled in a way that you're controlled by it. That, that's what this is teaching here. You're controlled. Um, you're submitted to it. Um, <laughs> you're filled with the Spirit. It means that you are controlled. But if you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that means that in the same way you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and so you're controlled by, you're submitted to the Spirit like, like a glove. Like a glove, okay? So, you know, in John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? And apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So it's kind of like this glove. This is us without Jesus. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ball up a fist, and I'm going to hit you with it, okay? And tell me if you feel the power. All right, why? Because it's not filled. All right, now. <laughs> All right, I think you, thank you, Kevin. I think you get the point. I'm not going to hit him back because I'm going to be on the ground after he, he hits me back. But it's like a glove. We're like a glove, and you're full of something. You need to understand, we're full of something, right? Have you ever heard that? You need to be full of the Spirit because whatever you're full of is what's controlling you. If you're full of yourself, who, no one likes to be around someone that's full of themselves. You want to be around someone that's full of the Spirit. Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that when you, um, he says, but you will receive power. Okay, we're talking about power here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit fills someone, what happens? They receive power to do what? to be witnesses, not power to win the Super Bowl, not power to make a name for yourself or for your ministry, a power to be witnesses for Jesus. And what does that look like? Well, the Holy Spirit has a will. We already said that. He has desires. He has, just like you and I, he has passions. Now, let me ask you this. What is the Holy Spirit? What is his number one passion? What is he most passionate about? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not you. Now, he is passionate about us, but we're not his first passion. And Jesus tells us that in John 16. He says, verse 26 and 27, he says, but when the helper, okay, that's another name for the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. He's our counselor. It says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, he speaks the truth, who proceeds from the Father, Look what his passion is. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. What is the Holy Spirit's passion? His passion is to make Jesus known. He loves exalting Jesus. If you believe in him, listen, he came to you with his passion and he convinced you. That's what he does. He convinces us that we need Jesus. And even after we come to Jesus, he comes to us in our sins, in our blind spots, and he convinces us of things. You need to do this. And he will, he's patient, but
but he, he is passionate about seeing Jesus exalted. And he will come to areas in our life, he says, Jesus isn't being exalted in this area. He convicts us of it, and then he gives us the power to change. That's important to understand. We're not supposed to live this life in our own power, in our own passion. So, the Holy Spirit is passionate about the Holy Spirit, uh, about Jesus. What does it look like? What do spirit-filled people look like then? I want you to think about that. If the Holy Spirit's passion is to exalt Jesus, what, what do spirit-filled people look like? They're passionate about making Jesus known. It's simple. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll know you're filled with the Spirit because you'll desire to make Jesus known. You'll be desire, you will desire. It's not a, ah, I got to do. You will want to advance the gospel. And we see this all through the book of Acts. That's why I love this book because it's just so packed with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and him filling believers over and over and one of my favorite guys, and he's one of our favorite guys, we talk about him a lot in this church, is Peter. Think about Peter before the day of Pentecost. He's a boy. That's all I, he's a boy. He's all over the place. The moment on, in Acts chapter 2 that he is filled with the Spirit, man, he becomes a man. I mean, it's like, you listen, go back and read this, this week, chapter 2. And actually, we've been reading through that. If you're reading with us in the, new t uh, the reading plan in our church, we're in Acts right now. But Peter becomes this beast of a man and begins to speak like, who are you? It's like, it's not him. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. I love in, in chapter 4, he heals a man, or Jesus heals, the Holy Spirit heals a man uh, through him. The, the authorities don't like it. They arrest him. And Peter talks again, and he's he preaches again to these leaders. And it says that these leaders were astonished. They couldn't believe that this uneducated, ordinary guy was so bold and making sense. And it says that they took note that he had been with Jesus. It's, 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 I love that. All through the book of Acts, when you want to look at what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, usually it says that the church was filled and, they, and the word of God continued to be boldly proclaimed. Jesus' name continues to advance. That's what it looks like. It's not some weird thing. Uh, it shouldn't be. Spirit-filled people are passionate about making the name of Jesus known, not their own. Now, spirit, now I, wanna, I do want to say this, though. Spirit-filled people might, you might speak in tongues. You might prophesy when you're filled with the Spirit. You might perform miracles of healing or the Holy Spirit perform them through you. We're a church that, we're not a, a, a church that believes that the gifts have ceased necessarily. We believe that it's possible that God can do whatever he wants to through his Spirit. We're not going to focus on the gifts. Now, that's, that's where we get off when we make this, this, your church is known for this. What does our church want to be known for? Jesus, right? So we got to be filled with the, the true Holy Spirit. If we truly are, Jesus is going to be the one that's exalted. But you know, you might do these types of uh, what I would call uh, uh, huge, uh, what are they called? Um, gifts, right? Speaking in tongues and healings and those types of things. Speaking, prophesying. 
You might do that. But listen, I will tell you this. Everyone who is filled with the Spirit, everyone will be empowered to live a life that reveals and glorifies Jesus. So if, you know, if you come to me and say, yeah, I, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and I, I have this, and you name a gift and say, or I've had this experience. I've been slain in the Spirit. What do you think about that? You might ask me that. What, what do you think about that? And I would say, well, well, I'm not saying that's not the Holy Spirit, but I would encourage you to test that Spirit. Scripture tells us, test the spirits. And how would you do that? How do you, how do you test an experience that you've had? Can you do that? Um, how can you test whether you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Here's how. Here's one of the ways. I would say, well, okay, if you had that experience, that's cool. But when you got up or whatever happened after that, did you love Jesus more? Did your life reflect Jesus more? Did you love God more? Did you love your enemies more? Did you love others more? Because that is the proof of, that's what the, the gift is for, to build up. Not just to have some experience, not to just to laugh uncontrollably. Now, the Holy Spirit does bring joy. There should be laughter amongst the people of God, but there should be a sober love that endures hardships, that sticks together when we're, when we're in conflict. That's proof of the Holy Spirit. That's proof of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so if you say you've had that encounter, I'm going to go say, I'm going to go ask people that know you. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to test the Spirit. I'm going to go talk to your family. I'm going to talk to your spouse, your brother or sister, your coworkers, your friends, your classmates. What do they say? Have they seen a change in the way you live? Or was it just an experience that you had on a Sunday or someplace that didn't change your life? The Holy Spirit's about changing our lives so that we will look more like Jesus. So, Spirit-filled people glorify Jesus and their lives, listen, bear Holy Spirit fruit. What is Holy Spirit fruit? Singular fruit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, right? You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, right? And Galatians 5, 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is, this is how you know if you're filled with the Spirit, is love, joy, peace. Don't we all want all these? Patience, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness. Look at this one, self-control. You're under control of yourself by the Spirit. Against such there is no law. So this is important to understand as we are, are, are looking at who the Holy Spirit is and how he ministers in his church. The Holy Spirit is all about exalting Jesus, and this happens primarily through changed lives, the way that we love one another. Which leads me to my final question, and that is how can we be filled? How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I need to come down and pray over you? And uh, 
have a power come down from heaven. God might use that. I might pray for you. We, we do need to pray for one another. Paul prayed for the church. We're going to look at that in just a second. But, but I want you to, I've got three A's that I want you to take away. And, and, and then we'll pray and go home filled with the Holy Spirit. The first A is this, abide. Look, you got to abide. John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. True disciples, are you his disciple? Then you'll abide in his word. Do you abide in his word? No. Well, verse 32, and you will know the truth. Who The spirit of truth. Remember that when we read earlier? And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It's not like there's this uh, uh, force called the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth to set you free. So just think about this. The disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years, roughly. They sat around the campfire with him. They heard his word. They were immersed in his word. They heard it. They, They received it, and they believed it. And they held on to it, and they obeyed it. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down, and he ignited it. And and revival broke out. So number one, if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, number one, we need to be a people that abides in his word. We need to know his word. We need to quit going, well, that's not me. Or We need to abide in his word. It can become you. And we all need to grow in this. Me included, Terry included, every one of us needs to grow in this. Secondly, we need to ask. This, this might be one of those things we overlook too much, asking. We need to realize you cannot drum it up yourself. You can't make it happen yourself. Um, in Luke 11, verse 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, you know, you guys know how to give good gifts to your children. If they asked you for an egg or a, something else, you wouldn't give them a stone or a snake. He said, if you know how, you being evil, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will the Heavenly Father, and this is what he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What does that look like? Father, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit today. It's it's that simple. Daily asking him. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I want to read you a prayer that Paul prayed. That shows what I'm talking about here. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Do you need, have you ever said, you know, I don't have the, I don't want to go on. I'm tired. I'm, I'm burned out. What are you really saying? You're saying, I need more power that you would be strengthened with the power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. I need power in here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's not saying that so you'll get saved again. He's saying so that your understanding of Christ will grow in you. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend that he would empower you to understand with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge that you may be what filled with all the fullness of God. There's nothing more exciting than to be filled with God. That's what we were created for is to know God and to be filled by him. So we need to be a church that asks. Lastly, we need to be a church that acts. We abide in his word, we ask for the spirit, and then we act. What I mean by that is that we take action, we surrender, we obey, we cease to resist. We're not going to be able to get to this this morning in verse 9. Hopefully in our MCs we're going to go further into this passage. But in verse 9 it says that Paul's trying to preach the gospel and it says that he he came came upon people who were stubborn. And they continued in unbelief. They, re- they resisted the Holy Spirit. We can re- you can resist the Holy Spirit. You can abide and ask, but if we don't act, if we don't respond, then we're just hearers of the word. We need to be doers of it. So we need to surrender when the Holy Spirit convicts us in areas. Instead of resisting, we need to take action. And when we repent and we receive the, the forgiveness of Christ Acts says that it brings about refreshing upon the individual and upon the church. So my question to our church is, do we want to see that in our church? Do we want to see Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost revival? You know, you know what we'll show is by what we do, how we respond to this. Because, and this is what, what it looks like. What would it look like if the Holy Spirit were to break out in here? Well, I don't know. There's some things I don't know might happen, but I'll tell you what would happen, what will happen. Families are going to be strengthened and marriages are going to be restored. People are going to be freed from feelings of oppression and being scared and insecure and feeling worthless. That's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. We're going to have deliverance from eating disorders, porn addictions, living a a double life. We will be a church environment. A church environment that is filled with the Holy Spirit is a church environment where it is safe to be transparent with our sin. Not so we can continue, but because we want to be set free. We, it's, a, it's a safe place when we're struggling, and it's a place that we rejoice when people come to repentance. And it will be a place that Jesus is exalted, not just in word, but indeed, and that's what the spirit-filled church, spirit-filled life looks like. And I know that that's what all that we desire. So what I want to do is close in prayer. And I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to pray Ephesians 3, 14 over us. And as we close out, join with me in prayer. Father, you, you told us in your word, you tell us in your word that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. And so, Father, I ask this morning, according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being. 
so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would be rooted and grounded in love and that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and width and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.